0: On today's episode, Anna is sharing a gruesome story from Canada, the Richardson family murders. Welcome to Crime Bar.
1: Okay, well well, hello welcome back. Welcome back to season what are we on now? <laughs> five. Is it five? Oh yes. yeah you're right it's five. Wow. It's season five. Yeah I feel like we haven't done this in so long I'm, I'm so nervous. <laughs> yeah
0: for, like we try to like stagger our recording so that we get like a three week three week boik.
1: But we didn't do that. <laughs> we still recorded stuff. No we didn't. Get the guest episode and the bonus episode.
0: No, we stagger the recording so that we get three weeks between each season, but those episodes like we've we stagger those so that they're released so that the listeners are still getting something.
1: Oh gotcha. See I wasn't even a part of the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Mentally. (laughs) Where am I and who am I? (laughs)
0: As long um, as you shut up with a story, that's all that yeah, matters. I, just, <laughs> Did I, got, I, brought, I brought you
1: something. Okay. And I was so intrigued by your Bobby Kent story, the one about all the idiotic teenagers in Florida. Oh, yeah. That I too decided to cover idiotic teenagers doing cruel and unusual, awful things because they can't think past the immediate future. Yeah. They can't think of consequences. In this case, I don't think they actually cared. Um, oh, these people okay. seem like they're devoid of any morals Ooh. and values oh. and such. This story, as a whole, made me want to have children even less because it was an example that you can be the most loving, supportive, kind, wonderful. What I don't even know if I said wonderful uh, at any point. Parents, <laughs> and your and your kid can still be a monster. <laughs> so anyway, so you're
0: just scared that you're going to give birth to a monster that does something.
1: That's a risk. <laughs> sure. I'll either give birth to a monster or they'll run into a monster. There's just too many risks involved. Oh, okay. So anyways, today I'm covering the story of Jasmine, 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 (laughs) Jasmine Richardson. (laughs) Jasmine. (laughs) I made it way more exotic than it is. And Jeremy Stanky, also known as? Stanky. Stanky. I know. And it's actually sad because he's made, okay, he sucks. We'll make that clear. But when he was a youth and he hadn't sucked yet, people bullied him and called him Stanky. Oh, because so I kind of feel bad. I felt bad, kind of stooping so low as these like middle school bullies. Okay, so I'll be referring to him as his actual name, Jeremy Stanky. and this is also known as the Richardson family murders. And before so I, this is Jasmine's family. That Jasmine. Died. Jasmine's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I lean towards Jasmine because there's an e at the end, but it's Jasmine. Jasmine.
0: I don't think Jasmine <laughs> is a name.
1: <laughs> well, in honest world it is, <laughs> and that's where I live. <laughs> And before I get into the nitty-gritty, the whole story, I think it's important that the listeners fully wrap their head around just how wonderful the Richardson family is. Mark, Deborah, Jasmine, and Tyler Richardson lived in Medicine Hat, Alberta, which is in Canada. (laughs) The name of the city feels weird (laughs) to me, Medicine Hat, but if we have any listeners, then it's very cool. Um, I would also like to say that the son's name is Tyler and his middle name is Jacob but different sources would refer to him as Jacob. And then some would say Tyler. It was very confusing, but I'm going to stick to his actual first name, which is Tyler. Okay. Everyone that knew the Richardsons said that they were the kind of family that was just genuinely happy. The parents had been married for 15 years. They were in love. They were amazing parents. Their kids, Jasmine and Tyler were very protective of each other and they had a sweet and very close relationship And they weren't like the kind of family that's like perfect on paper and then they have some like really dark skeletons in their closet they were legitimately a happy solid loving family the parents mark and deborah were both addicts before having kids mark struggled heavily with hard drugs but very successfully went through an addiction recovery program which is where he would eventually meet his wonderful future wife they both completely turned their lives around and they were a very strong support system for each other they became very spiritual and they lived healthy sober lives before having their children jasmine and tyler deborah had this contagious energy about her she was perky and upbeat and she was known for her like massive smile that took over her entire face she lit up the room like when people say that deborah actually did that She was very into holistic healing and Reiki and was planning on teaching classes out of her home before everything went down. She was also very interested in Wicca and she loved including her daughter in on like all of her hobbies and interests. She was very inclusive. Everything about her screams like open-minded, understanding. She's wonderful. We love her. Her husband, Mark, was a technician in the oil and gas industry, and he had actually just received like a massive promotion right before all of this happened. He was very excited about that because more money, meant more you know, time with his family, more mm-hmm. vacation time. He could provide for them. He was an attentive father, and he was described as a bear of a man. One of their former neighbors, Bob Gordon, stated, they were the family we all wished we had. Deborah was the cement who built a pleasant, happy home and Mark's only plan in life was to do right by his family. I lived vicariously through those parents and I really admire their devotion to family. Another neighbor even said that they were like a Norman Rockwell family. Like the beautiful family mm-hmm. gathering around, you yeah. know, amazing meal, golden retriever, that type of thing, white pick fence. Jasmine was 11 years old when this story begins. I'm just going to warn you that there are multiple times throughout this story where you'll have to stop and remind yourself that she is literally 11 years old She is an actual baby in sixth grade, and that makes all of this just that more difficult to comprehend. Jasmine started out like a normal kid. She was social, she was friendly, she was very close to her family, and she absolutely adored her younger brother. Classmates described Jasmine as understanding, outgoing, kind, and gentle, she was the type of girl that included everyone. She wanted everyone around her to feel welcome. Like she was the one that would invite you to come sit with her at lunch. If there was a new kid, she introduced herself and all of her friends. Very inclusive and sweet. Then like seemingly out of nowhere, things started to shift, which is normal. You're in middle school. You're you are discovering new things of like what might possibly make you cool. And in yeah. her case, <laughs> I don't know if I would agree with that, but it's okay. It started with smaller things like wardrobe and appearance Jasmine started dressing in all black and rocking like super heavy eyeliner. She eventually started wearing dog collars, chains, spikes. Um, she was drawn to like all things goth, okay, which can be super attractive and 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 if it's done well, just <laughs> so, like my mom right there, <laughs> just like if it's done tastefully, it can be beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, the skirt started getting shorter and her once like bubbly, smiley personality morphed into being angsty and withdrawn. It's just very concerning behavior for an 11 year old
0: on- Yeah, that seems like a little premature. I would think that would be more like- 16. 13, 14, something yeah. like
1: that. Like all the goth kids at my, were in my high school and they would like my public high school and they would walk down the hallways with like these capes mm-hmm. and everyone would like clear out and they would do those little dances. I don't know if you've oh seen gosh, the goth yes. dances, yeah. <laughs> And they're like kind of good and they bend their knees a lot. I don't know what it's called, and I don't mean that to be in- insulting. But, um, anyways, on August 27th, 2005, Jasmine joined a site called mindviz.com as well as vampirefreaks.com. Oh. Two sites that I've never heard of. No. I was like a MySpace gal through and through. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was too busy like picking out my MySpace song and wallpaper for the week to be concerned with vampire freaks. What year was this again? This is two thousand and five. Okay, so we were—I was probably—I want to say a. She's my age. Oh, really? So I had to have been like a. Oh, do you like how I just don't know what year I—I I don't even remember <laughs> what year I graduated from high school. We'll just cut that.
0: <laughs> um, it wasn't
1: two thousand five. Her username on Vampire Freaks was X Killer Kitty X. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so yeah, that's all you need to know. She eventually joined Zorpia.com and she used the username Runaway Double. So the persona she's creating is like very emo, very mysterious, very angsty. I would hate to uh,
0: have any of my past usernames broadcast right now, so I don't want to judge too hard. <laughs>
1: Mine was Ballerina. Like I was oh. scared of <laughs> revealing my name on the internet. So oh. my, my my MySpace name was ballerina and I had so many people in high school thinking that was literally not Anna but ballerina <laughs> and they would call me like Bally and things like that as like a <laughs> nickname I'm like no no no, no. I'm just scared <laughs> of predators online that's just what I do <laughs> um all of her bios talk about liking death blood Marilyn Manson criminal psychology human anatomy and kinky shit okay that seems so young yeah like I, when 11? I read that, I was like, you're 11 and you're writing kinky shit, like go buy stickers and play with Barbies. Yeah. You shouldn't even know what kinky shit is. yeah She described herself as a Wiccan, nocturnal, awkward, and insane. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just hate it because I know exactly what she's yeah. going for with the shock value yeah. and it hurts. Jasmine claimed to be 15 years old on all of the social media sites, um, which is still a baby, but not as baby as 11. hmm um, I saw a bunch of pictures that she posted and they were like all taken from the really high up MySpace angle. Yeah. You're like looking up at it all sad. Yeah. Like heavy eyeliner, blood red lipstick, mascara running down the face, but not in the way that you've been crying. Just kind of like the look. <laughs> and we'll post them on our Instagram so people can can see it and understand. She happened to have developed at like a very, very young age. And when I saw pictures of her at 11... I thought to myself, there is absolutely no way that this girl is any younger than 18. Like she's gorgeous and looks like she is 18 years old as an 11 year old. Oh, I see. Very concerning, very alarming. I I saw those photos and I was like, that must have been extra frightening for her parents. Mm -hmm. Knowing that she's like hanging out with a new crowd. That's like a little edgy, a little bit older. And then on top of that, she literally looks like an adult. That must have been frightening. Yeah. Um, Jasmine... Talked to a lot of older guys on these sites, but none of the guys really stuck. That is until she met Jeremy Allen Stanky. Jeremy Are you
0: are you certain you're pronouncing his last name right? Just because that's that's so unfortunate. <laughs> I know. I, mean-
1: I it's S-T-E-I-N-K-E. Stanky? <laughs> that's <laughs> even worse. It sounds like I'm making fun of it. Stanky. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no,
0: Stunk. but did you like? Did you like? Try I to listen hear to, to someone like news slip or anything?
1: Yeah, and they said stanky. Okay, so I'm gonna stick with it, unless they're messing it up and they're and they're trying to embarrass me indirectly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeremy was born on January 15th, 1983, in Alberta, Canada. And January 15th means he's a Capricorn. I think so. Yeah, not he's not yet an Aquarius. I believe.
0: What is just <laughs> mean?
1: That, so that's what I'm going to talk about later. But oh. according to the whole criminal act in for, to protect youths in Canada, uh, since she's 12, when all of this happens, her information is just not disclosed. So I spent oh. a good amount of time Googling what is her birthday, any information about her childhood. None of it's there. And I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that okay. later on. Sorry, so how old is this Jeremy guy at this time? So he, so he was time? 23 years old. Oh, my God. And they first meet at a punk rock concert, and apparently it was Love at First Sight. Yeah. Ja- Jasmine was very intrigued by his appearance and goth lifestyle. He wore this vial of blood around his neck, which is like very Angelina Jolie, Billy Bob oh Thornton, but God. might I say, not the same effect. No. Somehow not as sexy and intriguing. No. He referred to himself as soul eater and regularly threatened the people around him that they better behave or he might eat them. He also mentioned loving the taste of blood and that he once ate a batch of cookies that his friend made, sugar cookies, and there was blood in them. And he was just like, it was so weird. They were like pink when they came out, but they tasted so good. I love blood. Ew, that's not even- He's just unhinged. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he's just, there's, you don't want your daughter dating him. So Jeremy also believed that he was a 300-year-old reincarnated werewolf. Okay. So while that might have deterred you and I, (laughs) (laughs) that's what intrigued her. That made him extremely desirable to like the young goth girls Mm -hmm. that surrounded him. And it sounded like they actually all genuinely believed that he was a yeah. werewolf, and why he was wouldn't you when you're 12 and 11? Well, I feel like I want to give myself a little bit more credit. I would have been like, dude, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed it. I actually believed in the tooth fairy until I was like 11, 12. So actually, I want to take that back. Okay. I also believed in Santa until I was like 11 or 12. Oh my god. <laughs> Yikes. One of Jeremy's blog posts read, We must meet in the cemetery one hour before the full moon is at its fullest to speak of a tragedy within the coven those who have not overcome the mindless rage need not attend so i read that um blog post multiple times and i don't get what's going on um maybe because i'm not a werewolf i don't (laughs) don't know the deal but the point is is they have to meet under full moons and he's just speaking in a very shock value um just yada 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 so wait 300 year old werewolves speak his vocab is going to be different than ours yeah. it's understandable so on his vampirefreaks.com profile he listed his interests as scarification pain kinky fetishes blood and razor blades do you have anything you want to say about that you want to say me too or I have <laughs> nothing to contribute <laughs> just just a lot of size Jeremy was very popular in the goth community, and I think that Jasmine was so flattered that the guy was interested in her, and things got hot and heavy very fast. Their intense romance started out with long talks on the phone and writing dark poetry to each other. Eventually, Jasmine started to sneak out of her house to visit him at the trailer where he lived with his mom. So just up to no good (laughs) real fast. Yeah. I would like to quickly remind you that Jasmine had just turned 12 at this point. So she's a fresh 12-year-old. Jeremy is 23. I guess he was known for dating girls as young as 11, 12 in the past.
0: Okay, so he's like a full-fledged predator. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I was going to say he's obviously a predator, but based off of some of his background information that I'll mention now. Um, It sounded like he was emotionally very stunted and related more to middle schoolers than people his age. Not an excuse, but it's worth noting. I know this man is a monster, but sometimes you read about a person's upbringing and life story and you think to yourself, this person did not stand a chance. Like, I know there's tons of human beings that do not commit horrific murders despite enduring unthinkable experiences. But there are multiple moments throughout my research about Jeremy where my heart like seriously went out to him. Yeah. Jeremy was severely abused and bullied his entire life. From the time that he was a toddler, his biological father came home drunk every single day and beat him. He would drag him to his room by his ears and whip him. And that's Mm. according to his birth mother that she would witness this happening and you would have, maybe it would have been great if she had interjected, but it doesn't sound like she was very much of an advocate or a great mom. Um, His mother was an alcoholic and consistently brought home abusive men. Jeremy said that his first stepfather would take turns like tying up the children, all of his step-siblings. And make make them watch as he abused the other siblings. Untie, start beating the other one. Tie them back up, so they're witnessing oh like God. horrific child abuse, and then enduring it, knowing that they're next. And that happened regularly. His third stepfather would beat Jeremy's mom, and then when Jeremy tried to defend her, the stepfather grabbed him by his throat and just started wailing on his face, like giving uppercuts to like the jaw and cheek and then started beating him in the back of his uh, head. So like not only has Jeremy suffered from multiple head traumas due to violence, he is regularly witnessing violence being done to his step-siblings and his mom while also being beaten and teased daily. Like at school? At school, at home. Like he's, I mean, like I said, he was called stinky. The kids thought he was weird. And by the age of... 13 he was diagnosed with depression and hyperactivity like a school psychiatrist or um, like a school counselor saw the physical effects like when he would come to school and it was basically ruled in the court that he he had to go through like a psychiatric evaluation and he was deemed depressed and had hyperactivity and the psychiatrist also stated that he had fetal alcohol syndrome Ooh. which makes sense because his mom yeah. was an alcoholic um some characteristics of fetal alcohol syndrome include difficulty in school, speech and language delays, behavioral issues, and like I said before, it's very possible that Jeremy was just very stunted and had had the mental capacity of the young kids that he was choosing to surround him with, you know, to surround himself with. And if you look at him, he has like all of the very, like defining features of fetal alcohol syndrome, like the the brow and the smaller eyes and being farther apart. We'll, we'll post photos, but it's very sad. I do feel bad for young Jeremy. His mother moved him around constantly. It was hard enough making friends to begin with, but adding on the fact that he was never in the same place for very long did not help. When they finally relocated to Medicine Hat, Alberta, the goth kids were pretty much the first people to ever welcome him and make him feel like he belonged. And I think that goths often feel like outsiders. And I'm sure the reasoning like differs case to case of why that is. But I think Jeremy started to feel like he finally found his people. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, very unhealthy habits continue to develop. They weren't the healthiest crowd to hang out with, but he felt like he belonged. By 15, he was an alcoholic and he started to cut himself. Soon after, he started doing cocaine, shrooms, acid ecstasy all of the things that you should not do as a young and growing teenager Mm -hmm. (laughs) the substance abuse continued throughout his teen years and into his 20s so with this on top of being 23 years old and unemployed etc etc jasmine's parents were not happy about this new relationship her parents were very understanding about her new look and even when jasmine's school would call and complain about her short skirts and fishnets they're like hey she's not hurting anyone she's just expressing herself Mm -hmm. so mark and deborah were by no means like controlling fun suckers they just saw the red flags and did what any responsible parents would do they forbid jasmine from seeing jeremy and as a result she decided that her parents were ruining her life like as a 12 year old would yeah And I want to make it so clear that her parents never abused her. They did nothing but love her and accept her for her ever-changing moods and life stages and teenage angst. They simply wanted to protect their 12-year-old daughter from having sex with a 23-year-old man that thought he was a werewolf. Right. But to Jasmine, this was reason enough to kill them. Jasmine defied her parents' demands and continued to hang out and contact him secretly, Every time she saw Jeremy, she talked about how much she hated her parents, and as long as they're alive, they cannot be together. The messages found on their online- What a like, way to say that.
0: I know. It's not as long as they're alive. It's like as long as you're an adolescent living As in long as you're house. 12. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just give it six years maybe <laughs> instead, because what you did made it so that dating would also be impossible. Yeah, <laughs> no matter what. Um, once again, dumb teenagers- the messages found on their online accounts made it very clear that Jasmine was the one to come up with the plan to murder her family. It was very much painted in the media that Jeremy did all of the convincing and was this awful influence. And they would show images of Jasmine like before and after meeting him. And one picture would be her fresh faced and smiling and beautiful. And the other would be like after the goth transformation where she's like holding a gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... Jasmine is very very much the one that instigated this entire plan. One message read, I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. To which Jeremy replied, Well, I love your plan, but we need to get a little bit more creative with like details and stuff. <laughs> I love the end stuff. <laughs> like these idiots literally act like they're going to have like people over for yeah. dinner and they have to like you know, get recipes and go shopping and cook something. And yeah. It's painful. Supposedly Jasmine was pretty vocal about her plan to murder her parents. But whenever her friends would hear her talk about it, they would assume that she was just joking. And I mean, my friends didn't make jokes like that, but I have like the sneaking suspicion that I probably would have told on them. You know, yeah, I believe that about yeah. you. I didn't even know you then, and I, I believe you could yeah. have told. Well, I was totally a tattletale. Are yeah. you kidding? Were you really? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. No, I wasn't going to risk getting in trouble just because my friends were being idiots. <laughs> That's <laughs> on them, not me. <laughs> Give me a break. Cool. That's why I was very popular growing up. <laughs> it makes sense. Um, three days before the murders took place, Jeremy wrote this on one of his profiles. Their throats I want to slit. They will regret the shit they have done. Especially when I see it that they are gone. They shall pay for their insolence. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. Oh. So like I could see that yes, that might sound like a direct threat, but there were a lot of theatrics taking place on vampirefreaks.com. Um, And while I'm sure a lot of these members or some of these members are actually serious about their love for death and blood, I think a lot was just, like I said, for shock value. So it could have just been written off, especially because all of his posts were that dramatic. Mm -hmm. On April 22nd, the couple watched their favorite movie, Natural Born Killers, so that they could rile themselves up before going through with their plan. I've never seen it, but I looked it up on IMDb and the summary reads, two victims of traumatized childhoods become lovers and psychopathic serial killers, irresponsibly glorified by the mass media. In the movie, the couple murders the woman's family before they go on a murder spree. Uh, Spree. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. I need to keep it together. You know those good old murder sprees. (laughs) Jasmine and Jeremy thought that this was an incredible love story and something to idolize. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. Later on, when Jeremy was being interrogated by a detective, he said, natural-born killers? I think that's the best love story of all time. Ew. I would disagree. <laughs> Just so you guys know. I can name, like, three other ones that are better on top of my head. After they finished watching the movie, they decided it was time to murder Jasmine's family. Like, in that moment? No, they have been planning. Oh yeah, yeah, like that. It was time to st- make the plan happen. So they like literally pre-gamed. They pre they pre-gamed with natural born killers and then other things. So the pre-game continues. <clears throat> Jeremy drank. An entire case of beer, took a few shots of vodka, drank a few glasses of wine, did several lines of cocaine, and took an ecstasy pill before getting in the car. How do you even walk? Beer, vodka, wine, coke, ecstasy. Did I miss anything? Probably. (laughs) Are you kidding kidding me? So they get into the car, but... One of Jeremy's friends, luckily, Casey Lancaster, drove the couple to the Richardson family. So... Like, knowingly? Like, did yeah. she Yeah. Oh, that? she was in on it. Ugh. Yeah, she was in on all of it. He stated that when he arrived at the Richardson house, he was off like a rocket. Like, seriously, how do you walk? I don't know. And how do you, like, lift your... I, I've never mixed all of those things. I've never done most of those things. (laughs) But I would assume. I've never done beer. I've never done the wine before. (laughs) I've done the wine and the vodka many a time. (laughs) Oh yeah, you get, your tummy hurts from beer. (laughs) Side note. (laughs) Side note, both of our tummies hurt from beer. I learned the hard way. We don't drink beer here. Jeremy looked absolutely terrifying, dressed in a neoprene face mask, a neck bandana, eyeliner, leather wristbands, and black fishnet arm stockings. He broke in through the basement with two knives in hand while the family was asleep inside. Deborah heard a weird noise coming from the basement, so she went down the stairs to investigate. Without saying a word to her, Jeremy immediately starts stabbing her. Her screams echoed throughout the house and woke up her husband. Mark came running down the stairs with a screwdriver to defend his wife. Jeremy claimed that he was scared shitless of Mark. When he tried to back away, he tripped and fell. Mark jumped on top of him and started to, he tried to stab him in the chest with the screwdriver. He dropped the screwdriver and grabbed Jeremy's face so that he could shove his thumbs into his eyes, but he was not successful and Jeremy was able to overpower Mark. He stabbed him over and over again. Mark repeatedly asked him why he was doing this to him. To which Jeremy replied, it's what your daughter wanted. Like, can you imagine that being the last thing you hear before you're dying? Like, not, o- not only are you murdering an innocent human being, but you're ultimately telling a loving father that his daughter orchestrated his murder. Mm-hmm. It's evil. Mark had been stabbed two dozen times, including nine stab wounds to the back. And based off of how damaged and bent the murder weapon was, the stab wounds were very deep, deep enough to hit bone. And consider this a trigger warning because it does involve Jasmine's younger brother. And I know a lot of people have a difficult time with anything involving children. So if that's you. Then go ahead and fast forward 15 seconds. Just click the fast forward thing. Eight-year-old Tyler could hear the screaming and commotion downstairs. And he hid in his bed. He had put his toy lightsaber across his chest for protection, you know, and hid under the blankets. This is where Jasmine found him. At first she tried suffocating him with a pillow, but she was not successful. She stabbed him four times before Jeremy cut his throat. I know, I'm just trying to like get through. Jasmine claims that the only reason she killed her beloved little brother was because she thought it would be cruel to leave him without his parents. You could just not take his parents from him, but Um, after murdering her entire family, Jeremy went home and Jasmine took a cab to 7-Eleven two hours later she walked to jeremy's trailer two hours after the murders were committed jeremy and jasmine were seen kissing and laughing giggling flirting at a restaurant they showed absolutely no remorse and anyone that saw the couple interact would have never guessed what they had just done hours before they were completely unfazed just like having a date night the next day on april 23rd the bodies were discovered one of tyler's friends in the neighborhood ran over to the Richardson's house because they had like a planned playdate, mm. And shortly after leaving, this poor six-year-old runs back home and told his mother that no one was answering the door and that when he looked through the window, he saw a body. His mother immediately called the police. Detective Brett Sikondiak arrived at the Richardson house and saw that there was in fact a body. Upon entering the home, it was decided that Deborah must've been killed first She had been stabbed 12 times. Mark was killed after her, and his body was found in the basement. Detectives could see that he had tried fighting back with a screwdriver. The screwdriver was found close by to the body. After searching upstairs, they found Jacob in his bedroom with his throat slashed. Police determined that Jasmine was not in the house, so they issued an Amber Alert. Seeing as she's 12 years old, her entire family was found dead, They thought that she must have been taken and that she's in serious danger. There's absolutely no way that they thought that she had anything to do with the bloodbath that they had just discovered.
0: Yeah, why wouldn't they?
1: Yeah. Detective Brent Secundiak stated, I truly believed that this person was missing and possibly abducted. It wasn't even in the realm of possibilities that she wasn't accused. After going through extensive and detailed messages found online the police very confidently determined that Jeremy and Jasmine were the killers. The next day on August 24th, the couple was arrested. They didn't show any remorse, like literally the opposite. They were found kissing, cuddling, and laughing. So the, the plan wasn't to like try to run away or anything? They were just like- They were, they were discovered 80 miles away. So I don't- Well, not they, that there's I, any logic ways,
0: but did if, they really think that they were just going to be able to do it and- and then get away
1: yeah they probably just took their time getting out of town or something Mm -hmm. there was nothing disclosed about um an escape plan so i'm not sure i think they were once again too dumb i think they thought that if they just eliminated the parents and they can just she could just move in with them but that's just how life works they bragged about the murders and called themselves legends they believed the massacre made them immortal jasmine later said that's our five minutes of fame immortality means people will remember you According to Murderpedia.com, an undercover cop that was disguised as a prisoner had recorded a conversation that he had with Jeremy while they were being transported to a jail in Calgary. Didn't know you could do that. But in the recording, Jeremy said to the undercover cop, you hear about that triple homicide? Yeah, you're looking at him. Me and my old lady have become legends. He also told the undercover officer that it was Jasmine that slit her brother's throat. He said... It didn't bother her at all. She didn't cry or anything. In fact, the next day when we were on the road, fucking she was laughing about it. She's got a few screws loose too. Jeremy and Jasmine continued to write to each other even after the rest. I'm going to read you a couple of the painful letters that they exchanged. This is from Jasmine to Jeremy first. Never has a person affected me so much. Always will there be something missing without you with me. My lawyer tells me we're legends. Ha, closer to immortality it would seem. Monday I'm being moved to Calgary. Sadness. I need to stay in contact. And this is a letter from Jeremy to Jasmine. Dear Jazz, I love you more than life itself. I've added you to my visitors list, so once you're released, please visit after. Never forget how much I care or that I love you. We can keep visiting each other till we can be together again. Without you, this life isn't worth living. Kisses. The thought of being with you is all that is helping me stay somewhat sane. We shall be together again, I promise. Stay true to your promises and I shall to mine. Casey continues to lie. I wish I could hold you right now. Stay strong and continue to write to me, please. I need you. I love you. I miss you. Kisses. XO, XO, XO. Your lover, Jeremy. P.S. You said you wanted to get engaged? Then here's a cue. Will you marry me? If so, then it is a verbal agreement. Jasmine's trial started in June of 2007. She pled not guilty to three counts of first degree murder. Jasmine said when she talked about killing her parents, she was joking and she didn't think Jeremy would take her seriously. Luckily, the jury saw it right through the bullshit and she was found guilty in all three counts of murder, like as if she didn't write it show up pre-game go in the car and then also stab her brother Mm -hmm. she was just joking Mm -hmm. in november of 2007 she was sentenced to just 10 years in prison and even though she's a horrific human being her sentence was incredibly short due to the youth criminal justice act the act states that any convicts who were under the age of 14 at the time, at the time that they committed the act, uh, cannot be charged as adults and can be given a maximum sentence of 10 years. So she is the... The, And this is in Canada. This is in Canada, yes. She is the youngest person convicted of triple homicide in Canadian history. During the trial, Jasmine was asked why she did it. She said, I loved him so much. I thought it would bring us closer together. Like communication and quality time brings you closer, not murder. <sighs> Jasmine was released in 2011 under conditional supervision. She, like, even went to university. Like, she started wow. going to classes under supervision. And as of 2016, she is free to roam wherever she pleases. As of 2020, the murders have been removed from her criminal record. <gasps> Wiped clean. And that it was basically, like, if you don't commit any other acts of violence, um, you whatever, you abide by the law, you can have what you did wiped off of your record after a certain amount of time as a youth. Wow. I know, mind blowing. So side note, Canada takes protecting the identity of young criminals very seriously because after she was deemed a suspect, Jasmine, Jasmine, you would think I've made it this far. (laughs) I'm gonna mess it up for myself one more time. Jasmine Richardson's name could not be published by the media. She would just be referred to as JR, and this most, like, most likely explains why I couldn't find her birthday or any other childhood information about her. It was very difficult. Mm-hmm. In December of 2008, Jasmine Richardson's boyfriend and accomplice, Jeremy Stanky, was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder and received three consecutive life sentences in prison. He will be eligible for parole after serving 25 years, When asked why he had murdered Jasmine's family, Jeremy said, when you find your soulmate, you do anything for them, and I did anything. I disagree. I disagree with Jeremy Hardcore. He has since changed his name to Jeremy May, and he will be able to apply for parole in 2033. It's crazy that he can do that when he has three life sentences. I don't understand anything about the court systems or legal legalities and legal stuff <laughs> yeah. obviously with that terminology i just used i yeah. don't know much <laughs> side note the friend that drove them to the house yeah. and eventually helped them like dispose of evidence um she was charged with being an, an accessory to murder mm-hmm. but she accepted a plea deal and simply received a year of house arrest whoa detective secundiak and i'm so sorry it's like secondiac, secundiak really up for debate to me (laughs) not to him I'm sure (laughs) stated at one point I wanted her locked up forever I don't think I'm there now I hope she moves on and becomes a productive member of society I don't think she's truly evil I've met some of those people that are bad to the bone and she's not one of them and like you can absolutely argue that we change significantly from the age of 12 of course but (laughs) Her lack of remorse throughout the years implies that she is a massive danger to society, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, She doesn't get what she wants, so she eliminated the human beings that loved and cared for her. Even after being told what a monster she is, she continues to believe that she's a badass and a legend that did whatever it took to be with the guy that she loved. Yeah. With that being said, apparently she responded very well to rehabilitation efforts And once again, according to Murderpedia, has received a glowing sentencing review from an Alberta judge for the progress that she has been making while serving an open custody sentence in a Calgary group home. So that was prior, obviously, to her release. But she had glowing reviews from everyone involved. And I just write that off. (laughs) Once again, don't know her. But I see that as manipulation. You're, she's obviously in some way smart enough to tell people what they want to hear and go along with what people are trying to do, and you would have to be incredibly defiant to not go along with those things. And she, you know, because of that, she was released at like 22 years old. I just wouldn't feel safe living in the same community as a person like that. She, but changed- it'd be
0: hard to know if you were. If you she- don't know, yeah, because
1: yeah. she changed her name. Yeah, and she is living in a secret location. But multiple sources stated that she is in fact living relatively close to where she slaughtered her family. Wow. So she is now 29 years old. And like I was very curious about whether or not she is still in contact with Jeremy. And I was not able to find any information about that. And I didn't know if that was maybe because she has a new name. So they don't know Probably. even if they are contacting each other yeah. or if she's like determined um, to remain anonymous and private or probably or or she's moved on from him (laughs) shocking (laughs) enough i would just be really shocked if their love story didn't last (laughs) (laughs) they have all the makings for a really successful mature healthy relationship Uh yeah yeah and that is the gruesome disgusting awful story of the 300 year old werewolf jeremy snanky and the 12 year old murderess jasmine (laughs) oh my god jasmine richardson thank you everybody (laughs) Why do you keep saying it like that? I don't know. I, I tend to make things harder for myself, I think. <laughs> and I think having a complicated name of my own, maybe I'm just trying to make hers more complicated. You think your name is complicated? You is don't think we- Anna Katarina is complicated? Oh,
0: I thought we were just talking about Anna. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you mean the one that is the same forwards and backwards? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not complicated.
0: I'm like so conflicted about stuff like that. I kind of yeah. felt like but that story... About her, not about him, but mm-hmm. about Jasmine. And then that one story that I did, the little Mary Bell girl mm-hmm. in England. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's so bad to commit any of these acts, any of these crimes. Mm-hmm. But I do believe in rehabilitation and that kids make ridiculous acts. They do things that they don't think through, that they can't yes. comprehend. And it makes it all the more scarier that they're capable of doing something like that. Yeah. But it's just like, I don't
1: know. Like, I, I could understand. My forgiveness is so circumstantial when it comes to that. For example, with this, I have zero Tolerance for that behavior because she had incredibly loving, wonderful. She was set up to live a very smooth, happy life, and she murdered her parents yeah. in a situation of a kid living in an impover- an impoverished. Situation where they can't, they can't pay their bills and they break in and they steal something and then something violent happens. It's, yeah. it's so different. I think it's definitely circumstantial where if they can, I can see how like even joining a gang, things like that, that makes sense to me because that's what you are being exposed to. And that is- It's all you know. You think that that is your only chance yeah. of getting out. It's a last resort. That I can understand and I have all of the hope in the world that that can change.
0: Yeah, that's actually a better point.
1: It should be more circumstantial, I guess. I just think there's certain people that come out of the womb. I have always thought that almost being evil is a characteristic of a personality, just like being selfish is or being, you know, kind or forgiving, things like that. I think that it's not necessarily just a mental illness. I think it's you are literally just an evil person. Mm. And if you're capable of doing those things, you can be smart enough to grow up and tell people what they want to hear and go through the motions of a normal functioning adult. Yeah. But I think that that if you're capable of doing this without remorse, then I don't think that's something you grow out of. I think you're just knowing how to disguise it now that you're smarter and older.
0: Yeah, I agree
1: with that. Sick. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> I would drop my mic, but it is attached to things. I don't know how to <laughs> And it's expensive, it. so we don't and I drop And don't have them. the money to break it. <laughs> well, that was uh that was good. Thanks, Ash. It was fun to research. It was actually really hard To research this and eat, it took my appetite away. Oh, I don't. I think it was just. It's really gruesome. Yeah, I think it's like the talk of blood a lot, and just I think it's like looking at their pictures was really unappetizing. Oh, (laughs) their faces are scary and hard to look at. She was so pretty, but she was scary. (laughs) He was just scary. And anyways, um, (laughs) on on that that note, note, (laughs) I'm gonna go eat (laughs) now that that's over. All All right. right, love you. Bye. I hate to I love throw the you. deuces up. I, lo- I love you. I just throw deuces up because I'm <laughs> independent. I don't need you anymore. <laughs> I'm kidding. I need you. I love you. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. For all of our detailed source material, please visit our website, thecrimebarpodcast.com. If you'd like to see content from today, you can find us on Instagram at crimebarpodcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, which we have linked on our website, as well as our Instagram, patreon.com slash crimebarpodcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley-Johnson and Ana Katharina We'll see you next week.